Welcome to my podcast, Esteemed Women. It used to be called Silence and then became Innovation. And finally, women are now more empowered than ever to use their voices to express what it's really like to strive and thrive in what often tends to feel like a man's world. I'm sure it hasn't been easy, but these women have really achieved and accomplished. They're truly esteemed women who have chosen careers in science, technology and innovation. They're typically go-getters, alpha females, hardworking and maybe even a little bit perfectionistic. But on the whole, they've really applied their talents and skills to make a difference. That was certainly my own intention when working as a mechanical engineer and fluid dynamicist. In these episodes, you'll get a chance to hear about some fascinating innovations, but you're also more likely to be inspired and uplifted by the personal stories and experiences of my amazing guests. So let's hear it from my STEM sister, an incredibly esteemed woman, Sarah Chapman, an applications engineering technical manager and chemist. My name's Sarah Chapman. I am a super passionate STEM ambassador. Um, My day job is currently an application engineering technical manager. Um, We can chat a bit more about what that involves. Um, But yeah, I've always kind of worked in technical, but in loads of different jobs. um, And I'm really, really passionate about encouraging diversity in STEM. So science, technology, engineering, and maths, which I'm sure sure your viewers know. (laughs) Yeah, like, I would like to delve into what you do. So why don't you give us a quick sweep of like what your job entails? Yeah, so my job right now is really, it's really fun. So um, if you have been on a plane or a train or or been in a car, um, most likely within that vehicle, there will be loads of adhesives and tapes. So um, my company make industrial tapes and adhesives amongst many many other products but my current job is I've got a team of engineers and they work with customers who make trains and planes and cars and they try and figure out which tapes to use Um, and it's really interesting I certainly until I did this role I just had no idea how how much usage there is of of tapes and adhesives you kind of think of vehicles and you think that they're going to be screwed together or welded And actually, there's such an advantage in using tapes and adhesives because it's lightweight and you can resist fatigue and you can you can seal as well as as well as um, bond. So, yeah, it's it's a fascinating job and it's not my specialist subject. I'm in this capacity. I'm a a manager um, of the engineers. But so they're they're always teaching me and and they're the experts. But it's it's really it's really interesting. And and yeah, it's it's fascinating area. So, yeah, it's good. That sounds like really, um, it's it's one of those areas of engineering that you don't think about, you kind of take for granted. It's quite hidden. It's quite hidden, really. And you actually, in actual fact, if you've got a good specification, if things will deliberately be hidden. So, you know, when you're, let's say you're bonding um, the lap trays that come down in trains or, or planes or something, you know, that there'll, there'll probably be some kind of thin bonding tape that, that um, sticks that stuff together. And actually, when it's working well, you won't notice it. You won't see it. And I think there's a lot of science like that. So I'm a chemist originally by, by background. And it's literally science is all around us. You know, it's the same for engineering. You, you know, pick up any product and there will probably be, you know, hundreds of scientific applications. All of those will have engineers behind them. They'll have manufacturing technologists. You know, there's so many kind of STEM jobs that we just don't realise. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of fascinated in, in that regard. And I've had the 
the real privilege to kind of work in loads of different areas like that. So, so now I'm in tapes and adhesives, but in the past I've worked for um, safety products and that kind of thing. And, and again, there's just so much science and technology that goes behind it. Um, and that's what fascinates me. And that's what I think people don't realise. Has there been one um, thing in tapes and adhesives where you've gone, hold on a minute, that that just completely turns everything I've ever known on its head? Oh, it's such a good question. I think the, and this probably wouldn't surprise what I'd call a real engineer. You know, I, I sometimes think I'm like an honorary engineer. I, my job is is engineering manager, but um, but I'm not a qualified engineer. So, but but for me, it's still just mind blowing when you look at this tiny, very lightweight piece of tape. Um, I'll give you an example. So um, so we tested our tapes with the tug of war team. So if you imagine that you know two teams, um, you know like ten or so big strong people pulling in different directions, a little bit of tape in the middle, just holding these ropes together. And they pulled and they pulled and they pulled and they pulled and the tape flexes and stretches, but it didn't break. And I still, you know, that I still, I still can't quite get my head around. <laughs> you know, I still find it amazing. The, the challenge with that is that it's got to be correctly applied. So there is quite a lot of science in how we do that. And that's why the engineering function is really important because you can't just go, okay, I want to bond something together. I'm just going to pick that tape and I'll stick it together. Da -da. You know, you've got to, you've got to prepare the surface. You've got to understand all the forces. You've got to make sure you select the right tape or the right adhesive. Um, so, so really understanding that. So that's, and that's interesting because it's multidisciplinary. So it's, it's a bit of chemistry, it's a bit of engineering, it's a bit of physics. So yeah, it's, it's a really, um, it's, an, it's the kind of area I never thought I would say I was fascinated by, if I'm totally honest. <laughs> and you know, engineering has quite um, a massive PR problem. Um, <laughs> yeah. And it's, you're in an interesting place in the sense that you've come from a STEM background and now you're managing engineers. Mm -hmm. um, what to you is an engineer, um, given your experiences now? Yeah, and it's obviously it's obviously one of those questions that has multiple answers, right? So um, I'm in in awe of the engineers that I work with. Most of them are actually not all of them. Some, so some of them have a science background, but then they've qualified. They've got engineering qualifications in their special specialized field. Um, some of them have engineering backgrounds as well. So I guess, you know, arguably you would say it's somebody with a degree in engineering or a, a diploma in engineering or something like that. But if probably if you ask me what what does an engineer do, I would say they solve problems. And in that regard, everybody can be an engineer. And a lot of what I do is engineering. So, yeah, it's, it's interesting because I think we need to we need to kind of broaden that definition. And I think we need people to understand that engineering isn't the stereotypes that you think of. You know, and I know you're passionate about this. This is like and I still have it. I work with engineers who who don't fit the stereotype at all. And yet, if I think of engineering, probably if my instinct, if you ask me to imagine an engineer is still overalls and maybe a hard hat <laughs> and and that's crazy because I know better you know I've worked with engineers from all different disciplines and um you know in, in sort of all different guises and yet I still have that bias I have that stereotype going on so if I've got that then you know how how prevalent is that in in society in general and how many people does it put off because they they don't see themselves in that 
in actual fact engineering is it's solving problems and you know it's everything from you know software engineering is completely different to civil engineering although arguably there's more and more overlaps with this digital and and some of the the more traditional skills but it's just so varied and and I kind of want to share that with people because, because I figure like you're really missing out if you don't know that you're really missing out on all these potentially fascinating jobs um, in areas of interest. So I always say this about STEM. I think whatever your whatever your passion, whatever your interest, I would bet you that there is a STEM job that you could do that would enable you to follow that passion. So it might not be what you think of but so you know let's take an example um if you really really enjoy music you know maybe you're not going to be a rock star and, and go around the world um being on stage but you could be behind stage doing the doing the lighting or you know setting up the setting up the stage or whatever there's all these kind of stem jobs that actually enable you to follow interests so i think when we think of engineering we really have to think of it in those terms and, and say actually where is engineering used and if you look around it is it's literally everywhere i love that answer or that example because um i think when even if you were to defy the stereotypes mm. engineering and stem kind of related jobs are still off-putting because it feels like it's a lot of hard work Yes. Yeah. I mean, they're seen as difficult subjects, aren't they? You know, pe people think, oh, you know, all engineers are like super clever. They're super good at maths. And, and obviously there are in any discipline, there's people who are very academic and there's people who, who are very geeky. But actually, I think to be good at, at problem solving, if you think of it in that term, then actually you need to be creative and you need to be curious and you need to be good at collaboration. You need to be able to work as part of a team. So Actually, if you think about it in that sense, I think it opens it up to a lot more people. I think a lot more people would say, oh, actually, I'm, yeah, I can I can do that. You know, I can, uh, you know, I can fix stuff. I, I might do it by asking for help. I might do it by, um, you know, doing it in a different way or thinking in a different way. But actually, when you think about it as solving problems, I think it becomes a lot more appealing and, and, and accessible to people. Yeah, I think we're very much on the same page. And when um, I learned about you, it was actually through your TED talk, which <laughs> is just so powerful. You know, you. <laughs> we were talking about stereotypes and really sort of smashing through them by saying, you know, this is the stereotype for running. This is the stereotype for um, yeah. a scientist. And, you know, I don't want to be any of those stereotypes, but yeah, I love running and love science, you know. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, in that, I give the example of park run. So, um, and that's, that resonates with me because when I was at school, I was, I was the person who was, who was dreading cross country. I'm asthmatic. And so I've always struggled a little bit with, um, with things like running and um, I just, I absolutely hated it. I was teased and I just, you know, it was a really big thing for me. Like, oh, we've got, we've got cross country today, you know, and, and I hated it. And it's so funny because, well, it's not funny. It's actually really bad, isn't it? But I then feel like as an adult, I kind of missed out on an opportunity. It's a, running's a brilliant way to keep fit. And it's, it's something you can fit in wherever you are in the world. You know, you can, you know, you don't, you don't necessarily even need proper running shoes. You can just do it in trainers. It's a really good way to keep fit. And I sort of then rediscovered it a lot later. 
And initially I did, I thought about maybe joining a running club. My husband was getting into running and I was like, maybe I could do that. But then, yeah, I saw these really athletic people and I saw, I saw a stereotype that, you know, the sort of triathlete kind of, and I just, and I was just like, that's not me. I, you know, and actually park run is completely different. Park run is made up of, there are those people for sure, but they're really welcoming. They're, they're not going to barge you out of the way. They, you know, they, they're really encouraging and, there's also a bunch of people who are jogging and walking and there's people with dogs and there's people pushing buggies and there's people of all shapes and sizes. And it, you know, I kind of, kind of went to a park run. I was like, okay, this is all right. And I walked the whole first time. I just, it was, it was after my first pregnancy. Um, <clears throat> so I walked the whole time. It took me like 45 minutes to get around the course, but I did it. And then the next week I was like, okay, I'm going to go a bit faster, you know, and, and I gradually built it up. And so I wouldn't describe myself as a runner, but I do enjoy running. And it's now, I can't actually imagine a week if I didn't go running, it's really good for mental health. So, you know, it's something that, that because of that complete change, it's the same activity, it's exactly the same activity, but because of that perception and then my own sort of limiting beliefs, it, you know, it's completely changed. So yeah, it's a, I think we need to do that with science. I think we need to do that with engineering because, you know, arguably that's more important. If we're missing out on people because they don't feel they can be included because they don't feel they have value. You know, and the funny thing about Park Run is personal bests are set every week at Park Run. There's no, it's not a mediocre kind of, oh, you know, we, like we're, we're just walking or whatever. People, People might start walking, but then they'll get faster and maybe they, they're able to walk two laps instead of one lap or whatever. So personal bests are still set. It's still a very competitive environment in that regard, but it's just in a friendly, inclusive way where I, kind of people help each other. So, yeah, I feel really strongly about that. We've got to do the same thing. We've got to we've got to try and do that for science. Um, and actually, you know, and you know this, you've worked in the in the STEM industry people are really willing to support other people. You know, it's, a, it's actually a very collaborative um, environment because that's how you get things done. That's, you know, that's actually the best way to solve problems is working as a team. So, you know, I think there is this kind of real, real mis, mis, misperception about, about the industry, which, you know, I hope that if, if my TEDx talk can change that, then, you know, for even just one person, then it was worth, it was worth going through that, <laughs> that challenge. And it is a challenge to talk for 12 minutes without a script. Um, so, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Wait, so you, you, you must have rehearsed that. It was so. I know I did. I did. I had a script, but I just didn't have it in front of me. But yeah, it was. But that's an interesting one, isn't it? Because that's an example of where, you know, public speaking is daunting for people, for most people. And again, I didn't. I didn't think I could do that. Um, but I kind of found something I was passionate about, and I was like, no, I'm gonna, I'm gonna give it a go. And yeah, and I'm really pleased I did because if you know if a couple of people can see that and think, oh, okay, well, if she's gone into STEM, then maybe I can go into STEM. Maybe that maybe there's something there for me. Then you know, then that's I will I will feel like I've given something back. Well, what you mentioned now and what came through in your TED talk is this idea of personal best, and I just find that so powerful and kind of woke because. Um, <laughs> You know, I think competitiveness can really lead to a lot of misery. Mm. Um, you know, it can drive people, which is great, you know, um, success and um, achievement just keeps on evolving. But 
um, it doesn't necessarily correlate with happiness yeah. and feeling fulfilled. And so I love this idea of um, setting yourself a personal best. And I love this analogy of the running club or the park run mm -hmm. because yeah. um, it is about that. It's, you know, I can picture in my head a park run where, you know, some people kind of just want to meander yeah, <laughs> be in a park and be outside and meet up with their friends and have a bit of a social exactly. time. The people are like people doing it with a coffee, actually walking with a coffee. You know why not? You know why it's, not? You're out. It's you're about. It's yeah. Say there's volunteering as well, so people are you know there's, there's people volunteering to do the timing and and it's interesting because you know part part of my um my TEDx talk was about role models and. It is amazing to have these brilliant role models. It's absolutely amazing to have people who are at the top of their game and, and they're people who are like, they're, they're smashing all the, you know, they're the first woman CEO of whatever company. You know, you've got to have that. It's really, really important because then you can see, you know, you can see a direction. But actually for people trying to relate to that who are maybe starting their career, it's equivalent to me looking at, Hussein Bolt and then thinking well I can't you know I'm, I, I'm not going to even attempt that because you know he can run faster than um than I you know <laughs> just than I can drive properly you know it's, it's incredible so it's just too much of a gap whereas if I look at somebody you know maybe similar to me who has who has started off walking and now they're jogging around that's like okay yeah that's doable that's achievable so I think there's something really important about not just showcasing the best and not just having the people who have broken all the records and are the first and the, the fastest. You've also got to have people who have, you know, maybe had challenge. I'm not saying that people at the top haven't had challenge because they normally have, but that's not normally what they're asked about. They're normally yeah, asked they, to talk about their great achievements. <laughs> it's not necessarily relatable. And what you're saying there, just resonates so deeply with me and it's probably one of the main reasons why I started this podcast because you know there are so many initiatives out there to really support women in STEM and encourage them and put them on a platform and but often these incredible women who have done amazing things mm -hmm. just don't feel relatable yes yeah you know? and 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 I've actually had criticism from people saying oh, you just want to hear about people suffering and you kind of just want to make it all doom and gloom just so that you feel better about yourself. It is not that. It is not that at all. Someone that's in the park run with a coffee just takes all the intimidation out of things. Like it just makes you kind yeah. of like relax your shoulders and just go, you know what? Like I'm setting myself a high bar. Yes. But there are other people here that don't have such a high bar and they're out and they're enjoying themselves. And yeah. I want what they've got because they seem content. Yeah. And, and it's about it's about everybody fulfilling their own potential and whatever, whatever that whatever success looks like to them. And I think, you know, so another example, my um, I had a technical director once and he he said he told a group about how he suffered from imposter syndrome. It was in a it was in a training session. It was um, there's a, a scheme called I Am Remarkable from Google, um, which I would highly recommend, which is all around confidence. So we were in one of these workshops, and and he he said that, and 
you know, and it really stuck with me because I was like, and he was, you know, he was in a very senior position on paper. His career was like, you know, tick, tick, tick all the way up. And for him to say that he regularly felt that imposter syndrome, that was like, oh, great. <laughs> it was like just that relief of, oh, okay, that's, that's okay. It's, it's normal and, it's, and it's okay. A, it's not a, oh, great. Um, I'm really glad that you've been suffering. No, it's, no, not at all. Yeah. <laughs> just like okay you you get that too you know it it just really really helps and also then the the inspiration comes when people have overcome those things so people can share those things which is why I like things like the podcast format because you have a you have time to get into the to kind of get beyond the sound bites and the headlines you can get into the conversation and and actually realize that so many people who on paper look like they've had this sort of you know perfect career actually behind the scenes they've had they've had a lot they face loads of the same challenges that that a majority of people will be facing and and I think that's really important and especially for people who are underrepresented because you know it means that you can actually think okay well that person was able to overcome that challenge and this is how they did it this is how they approached it and I just think it's so important I think if we only showcase the I call them the stars if you only showcase the stars then you're it's it's fantastic and it's very inspiring but yeah it makes it really inaccessible whereas if you if you also show the stories of of who I call the streetlights so they're the people that are just a bit closer to home who you can relate to who kind of share the challenges as well as the as well as the successes those people they're the ones that actually help you to take the next step so it's almost like you need both of those things. You need the kind of inspirational light, but you also need the need the handholding and somebody to kind of just help you find what's your next step. So yeah, I'm really passionate about those the stars and the streetlights and sharing the stories. And I love the podcast format like this because because you have but you have all of them, you know, and and some of those people are both those things. So it's it's really important that role models are not just the best or the brightest it's got to be people that you can relate to I think that's so important you know you really um you solidify all the reasons why I do a podcast like this um because often (laughs) I do have like um a bit of a worry that I don't have like the superstars of STEM, you know on my podcast you know the big names that are going to draw in you know and 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 I, I love chatting to the women that are on my podcast, you know, whether they are, you know, in their early 20s, just kind of figuring out what they're going to do um, post, you know, undergrad type of thing or uh, really established kind of more senior women. Um, you're right. It is like a combination of stars and street lamps. Um, and everyone's valid. You know, yeah. I think sometimes- yeah, exactly. all those stories you know, the, the the person listening, you only need to inspire like one person for that to have been a good use of, of you know, of that format, because because you just never know what it is that's going to stick with somebody, you know, and, and I, so yeah, I completely agree, having, having those stories, and, and also having them in a way where people can actually share, you know, so much of our media is like, you know, 20 seconds, 20 seconds sort of head, you know, it just, you've got a headline or you've got to do a soundbite and, and that's good. And I don't think that we should not do that, 
but I just think sometimes that deeper conversation is is so much more important for people who are actually using those people as role models so so I think it's I like I think it's amazing what you're doing because it's exactly what we need to do and also it's showing a it's showing a face of science and and engineering that is probably not what people would expect and I think that's really crucial so yeah 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 you mustn't stop (laughs) well you know when you were describing sort of like the the stars and the street lamps I was thinking that you know we are actually living in a day and an age where people are able to see more street lamps than ever because you know generations ago um, it was all about the sort of the big iconic stars and like you know there was a few chosen few yeah would represent like the talented the beautiful yeah. this the that like it was just like a it was a triangle <laughs> <The> selection <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and um you know today anyone can kind of go viral essentially yeah, exactly exactly and you know i think that's i also believe that anyone can inspire somebody to not necessarily go into a STEM career, but to learn a bit more about STEM, right? So so I don't think you need to be, I don't think you even need to understand the science or engineering, just to point it out, just to kind of, you know, parents can can do it, that, you know, you can you can be curious about things. That's all STEM really is. It's, it's about curiosity and, the, and then studying things and then problem solving. And I think, you know, I think it's really important that to have that curiosity. And if we, if we kind of make that so that the only people who can do that are the people that have been who have those kind of select spots you know the the people who are on telly or who are you know have official roles then the danger is that we just lose the breadth of it and and it means that you know you, you start it starts reinforcing those stereotypes so I think it's so important to have a big variety of people loads of different stories and everybody's you know I think the people I meet who work in STEM they're all in it for different reasons and they've all got different things that fascinate them you know I was talking about trains I never thought that would fascinate me um you know everybody's got something they they just find you know find interesting and you've got to kind of find that and I don't think that's going to be the same for, for all the people. So, yeah, I think I think in a way, social media and things gives us a, a real opportunity um, to have to have more streetlights, to share those stories and, and to make sure that women are represented. Because if you look at the history and if you look at the those selected few, you know, often women are missed out. And I think that's really sad because. There, there are plenty of female role models in the STEM industry, although we're we're still in a minority. But you know, there's loads of stories out there, and they're fantastic. So I think the more we can share them, whatever format that's in, then the more chance we stand of then finding something that's going to connect with somebody, and then they might just think, oh, okay, that's changed my perception a bit, which you know, which can only be a good thing. Mm. I mean, the numbers and statistics are still very low. Yeah. <laughs> and um, and uh, we are in the middle of a transition, I feel, that mm. things I believe are hopeful, but mm. there's still time required for change. Um, yeah. And I wondered, like, being in industry and managing engineers, and there's probably not much gender equality, I'm assuming, Maybe there's a bit more awareness around it, but mm. essentially you're working in mostly male t- 
teams or managing yeah I mean like you say I think there's lots of reasons to be hopeful um you know there's if I if I need to think of a female an inspiring female engineer I have no shortage of of names right but then that's because I've looked for them that's because I'm connected to them that's because I'm you know I'm here working in STEM if I think about that from you know when I was at school I wouldn't have a clue and actually some of the some of the the role models that we put into textbooks they're okay but they're a bit distant you know people like you know um Mary Skodowska Curie for example you know inspirational definitely story worth reading right but you know kind of hard to connect with you know these sort of historical you know Ada Lovelace is another one you know fantastic inspiration my book yeah exactly and so we need that we need more we, we need to make sure that those those you know those real life role models the people that we can relate to from all different walks of life that they're showcased and I think I think if we, you know, parents can do that, it doesn't have, it's not just school. I know, you know, I know that's obviously a big, big area and I do a lot with education, but, you know, we can do that everywhere. And I think that gradually helps to, to challenge that, that sort of um, thinking that, you know, if I go and work in this environment, I'm going to be, I'm not going to see anybody that looks like me. You know, there are people that said, it's still there. Still is a lot of underrepresentation. I mean, you know, we're we're still really under that twenty percent in terms of in most of the the engineering and science disciplines. You know, there are exceptions. There are some that have reached parity. Um, some of the biological fields now that they, they are beginning to see to see parity, at least gender parity. Although there's still work to do in other areas, but the issue is things like you know computer science, um, physics engineering it's still very much underrepresented so I think that yes there's definitely work to do but I think I think there's a lot of hope and I think also the other thing is in terms of like working conditions I see the I see I think probably in a role like mine I I get to see both ends of the spectrum so a company the kind of company I, I work for a company called 3M and they've made a public commitment to STEM equity it's it's a really big um, really big thing for them because they know that diversity drives innovation. So they've made a commitment. We have schools programs, we have outreach, we have scholarships, we have all sorts of programs to help to improve this. Um, so, and actually within our company, quite rightly, we we are trying really hard to make that an inclusive environment to make sure that we've got, you know, we, we don't have gender parity in, in all the areas, but I work with, you know, I can think of loads of women that I work with in STEM. You know, there's no shortage for me of, of, of peers in that in that regard. But often if I'm going out to maybe a construction site or, um, you know, some a manufacturing site, then actually I, I look at that and I do see the other side of it, which is that still there'll be, you know, no one can tell you where the women's toilet is, <laughs> um, you know, and, and that's still a real challenge because, yeah, you are, you know, I'm still regularly the only woman in the room. So that's got to change. Clearly, there's there's still still things we need to work on. And I think that's why we need to take those, you know, you're talking about those real role models and we need to feature them. We need to feature them in books. We need to put them on telly. We need to feature them in social media. We need to tell their stories, because if we don't do that, then people won't know that it's changed and they won't know that it's changing. So, yeah, I think there's lots of reasons to hope. That said, we've still got a really, really long way to go. Yeah. 
I mean, I do feel that it is particularly bad in the UK. Um, and I don't know what is holding us back, but I'm assuming it's things like tradition and trying yeah. to kind of um, steer the Titanic in terms of like <laughs> perception and um, expectation and roles mm. within society. I mean, it's just very, very complex. Yeah, and it feels like there's so many opportunities for failure, you know, as in if you're, you know, maybe you're at school and you have an interest in, in a STEM subject and then there's you, you've got social aspects at school, you've got the educational aspects, you've got the stories that we teach, you've got the way that we teach these subjects. It might, it might even be just the problem of using the word STEM. Yeah, indeed, indeed. It's, you know, there's a branding thing there, isn't there? There's there's all the connotations that come with science and, and engineering. You know, then there's right through to access, access to education. You know, we've, there's big inequalities there, um, you know, and then when you get actually into employment, you've got issues where if people go into a STEM job, but then like a lot of industries, we lose people. People, people then they either they might leave or we find, you know, especially for women, there is a bit of a this kind of this, this plateauing where we, we just don't see people moving into upper management. Um, so it's, it's always like there's so many opportunities to lose people. And I think we need to address all of them from education right through to employment, because otherwise, if you only address it at one stage, we're not going to be able to kind of sustain that change. So, yeah, is it, I think it's I think there's lots of lots of areas we can carry on working on. Again, there's lots of reasons to hope. You know, the, the STEM ambassadors program, I think, in the UK is one of the one of the world class examples of where you've got real people who work in STEM and they're going into schools or they're hosting visits and they're really, you know, gradually changing that perception um, and enhancing that education. So, so I think there's lots of reasons to be positive, but yeah, there's still, um, so my company conducted a, we conduct a global survey, which is all about the perception of science. Um, and so that found last year, they found that I think it was seven out of 10 people still felt that um, a lack of access to STEM education was a barrier. And that's in a country where education is free up until, you know, up until college. So, you know, that's quite worrying <laughs> that people feel like that. Um, so I, so I think there are, there's, there's the challenges of the reality, but then there's also the challenges of perception, um, you know, and, and why people choose different subjects. And, and then if they perceive they can then get a job in those subjects, you know, that's so important. And I don't think, I don't think we sell that enough. You know, there's some really fulfilling, lucrative jobs that come from science, technology, engineering and maths. And I don't think people are aware of them. I think people, you know, when, they, when you think of high paid jobs, I, I don't know what people think of, but I guess things like, you know, footballer or pop star, and it's like actually I mean, there are professions that are way more popular yeah. and it's kind of a shame because young people w want to be the one that ends up you yeah. know themselves yeah. into that lifestyle and exactly. the, the the likelihood is that it won't be you you know it yeah. just it, it's really sometimes I do worry what young people are kind of influenced by because mm -hmm. Things have become very skewed, um, especially with media changing and mm. consuming media in such different ways. Um, and, you know, there are pros and cons. I think we are now more connected than ever to each mm. other. Yeah. We are also more lonely um, because um, we're kind of putting on a mask of, 
you know, a filter yeah. of our, our, our we're, we're, we're documenting our lives through a filter, essentially. Yeah. It's not realistic, yeah. but yet we can be connected more than ever. So it's just a, it's an interesting time. Mm. Well, that, well, that doesn't, that's interesting as well, because that also doesn't help with this. You know, we've mentioned earlier that, that social media, for example, is, is a way to get more role model stories, you know, more of these streetlights out to people. But also so the way that social media operates is that it encourages you to put the extremes. And actually, I think what we need is just pe- more people just kind of being, you know, being average exactly where social media you know you kind of can't put you know i i got a c in my a level or whatever you know people want to hear about the a you know i know the grading has changed but you know the a stars or the failures and and it it almost it it makes it very difficult because we want to use that platform but then equally you want to use it for good and you don't want to actually reinforce this kind of brilliance myth you know this genius idea you have to be a genius to work in stem you know i'm not a genius and i don't think most of the people i work with are um they are they have expertise because they've worked hard they've st- mostly you know in most cases they have studied hard and they know their subject but mostly they're just the curious they're collaborative um and and they're good communicators and i think yeah, this kind of myth of you have to be somehow brilliant to, to be in science, particularly, I think, suffers from that. Um, so, yeah, it's a real challenge when we've got to, you know, but we're doing some great stuff. You know, you know, I'm doing lots, you're doing lots, there is lots of stuff. Things are, yeah, things are changing. Yes. Um, and things are changing and there's still a lot more to change. And one of those things is allowing women to be multi-dimensional now I consider you to be a woman who's multi-dimensional because mm-hmm. you're leading this engineering team but you also have um a family and and all of that um which requires kind of wearing different hats yeah yeah definitely but I think it's interesting because it's easiest when you don't have to really wear those different hats when those things can be integrated that does help you know that does make a difference and that's why I like you know so so you know to take your example art you know the arts and and technical you know those things people see them as mutually exclusive and they're not and some of the best things in my opinion are are done because they they have both those streams so I think I think actually sometimes when you don't have to split things up so much actually that's you know and I think so that's you know as a as a working parent some of that comes down to working for a company where I don't have to hide my uh, you know and it, and it has you know throughout my career there have been times in the past where you know I have felt that I couldn't share kind of what was going on in my life because I didn't want to appear unprofessional and things like that and I think that's massively changed you know and the pandemic has has helped with that you know one of the sort of silver linings in an otherwise fairly dark cloud but um you know, it means that, you know, they have a group in my in my division, they have a group which is like pets of the division, you know, and it's like people are encouraged to share their cats and their dogs and their horses, whatever it is, you know, and, and things like that have really changed because it means that, you know, as a, I've got young children and sometimes work and home, they merge, they blend and they have to, and, and that kind of, I think just having permission to do that is fantastic and it also helps with the role model thing because it means that you know people can see 
the juggling that goes on. And there is a lot, you know, and sometimes I do it expertly and other times it's a complete mess and it's just chaos. And and I think it's good for people to see that, to see that you're not kind of some kind of superhuman who's who's, you know, doing a full time job and, you know, I hope I'm being a good mum, you know, although even that comes with its own sort of social social um, perceptions about what that looks like as well. So that's probably a whole nother conversation. Why why does it fall on the shoulders of a woman? (laughs) Yeah. And and that's I think that's the other thing that that has changed is more and more, you know, that generally men say that they, men and fathers say they want to spend more time with their children. So it's kind of a win-win to have more equal partnerships. And I think the fact that families can look different, I think in the past, if your family was anything other than the kind of the, the sort of traditional nuclear family, then that was that was a difference that it could be quite difficult to, to share. And actually now I feel like that's, certainly from the kind of business I work in, that's just completely gone. People have got all sorts of home setups they, and they can share them. And I think that's really important because, because we talk about working parents, often working mothers for that reason, because historically the, the kind of a lot of that has fallen to, to women. Um, but actually I think it benefits everybody when we can talk about different ways of doing things and things that, yes, they may benefit working mothers, but actually they're also really good for people with other caring responsibilities. You know, and everybody has stuff in their life that they love, you know, whether it may not be children, but everybody has stuff that they need to integrate with their work. And I think the more kind of open we can be about that, then the better. In my opinion, it helps everybody. So, yeah, I feel really grateful to have been part of that change and I hope that it sticks and I hope that it continues because there is still there is still work to do but yeah I think that's actually a really positive thing yeah no definitely what's happening is positive because I'm meeting more and more underrepresented people who Mm. are just shining and thriving yes Yes. Uh, and they're kind of they're able to do that because they're not always worried about you know hiding things you know they can actually just bring their their full selves and I think that that makes people you know people who are happier will perform better you get better business results you get more innovation so it's it's kind of a no-brainer really but it took a pandemic to get us to to do it what are your main um focuses I mean you've got your your job your position Three yeah, yeah yeah so I've, so my um I'm again I'm really lucky and I think it speaks volumes to the the kind of company that I work for but um I also have a 20% of my role that is um uh stem champion for the north europe region so I actually officially get to do stuff like this I get to you know I write quite a few articles and things like that so I I get officially to do that which is which is brilliant and that also incorporates any volunteering work so I've always done volunteering STEM volunteering um but it but now it's like I'm allowed to I I can do it with the backing of the company um so which is which is really good and actually they're they're probably they're fairly forward thinking in that regard I've always been able to have a day off every year to to dedicate to the community and and everybody who's employed gets that and I think I'm seeing that become more common I'm seeing more companies see volunteering as something you know it's it's the the research shows that it's it's good for employee well-being it's good for mental health it's good for productivity 
a lot of employees, if they go out and do some volunteering, they come back with more energy and more purpose and more meaning. And it reminds them sometimes why they do the job that they do. So I think it's really, I think it's a fantastic thing to do. It's actually quite cost effective for companies as well. You know, it's not something that they have to put a lot of cost into. So I think, I think that I've, I've really benefited from that. I've been so lucky to be able to be a, a working parent, a, a STEM ambassador, a STEM volunteer. I've got this, this sort of STEM champion role as well. And then I've got my day job. Um, so, and I've had, I've had a lot of different jobs, you know, I'm not a specialist in anything. And I think, I think that's been quite a privilege really as well, because it means you get to see lots of different types of things. And I've done loads of different, they've all been technical, but they've all been different types of roles. So, so yeah, that's kind of, um, and if I have any spare time, which to be honest, I tend to, to do stuff related to STEM because I'm, you know, you probably tell them I'm pretty passionate about that. But I do, I do have a few hobbies as well. So, um, yeah, <laughs> when I can. <laughs> is your ultimate goal just not just, but is your ultimate goal to move the needle? So yes, but I guess in terms of measuring that, that's hard because um, anecdotally. I know that what I do makes a difference and I'm sure you get the same thing, you know, especially as an author and, you know, being on telly and things, I, I, you get, I get a lot of feedback. So to give you an example, there was a student that came in to um, take part in a STEM competition that we ran. And the teacher said that this particular student was really struggling with um, focusing, really struggling with um, the, the kind of their schoolwork and, and that kind of thing. They did the competition and it just transformed them. So they worked on a project for a, a couple of weeks and it gave, I guess it gave them a purpose and it and it helped to boost their confidence. And they brought it, they brought in this project and it was a um, it was a scale model of the Tokyo Tower. It was amazing. And they brought it in and we judged it and we gave them some feedback and it was, it was amazing. Um, and then this particular entry actually ended up in the Japanese embassy in London because they were so impressed with it. Um, anyway, I got a letter from the teacher months later that said, you know, that whole experience, it didn't just, it, it wasn't just that they enjoyed the experience and they got something from the experience, it actually changed their trajectory. So, so they were just, every lesson, they were much more engaged in all the subjects that they were studying. Um, I, I guess because they had an experience that showed them what they could do. Um, and in this particular case, it's, it's kind of like acknowledgement who they are yeah exactly exactly and just showing them just looking for that exactly showing them what they could achieve in a relatively short space of time you know still while they're while they're children it, it raises their aspirations for what they can do longer term so I kind of get validation from that I'm like okay what you know the stuff that I'm doing is helping it is moving the needle it is changing careers and and you know in some cases changing lives but then sometimes when I look at the wider statistics, <laughs> I do get a bit like, oh, you know, like, <laughs> you know, it would be nice to just see it creeping up and up and up and up. And, and actually, you know, it's not that simple. We're seeing it shifting in some areas. And, and I think that is hard. So I'm interested in your in your thoughts about that. How do you get that kind of how do you know that it's that you're doing the right thing and that, you know, we've got to continue doing it? Well, I've just come back from um, a trip to the States um, and basically met a bunch of engineers that are doing very progressive things um, as a result of a very progressive mentality. Mm, okay. Um, 
And it's really interesting because we talk about like the lack of role models or mm. the the kind of the um, less frequently occurring role models that can break down intimidation yeah. and just yeah. be accessible and all of that. And um, when you just when you when you give those underrepresented individuals an opportunity to have a platform to be seen and heard it's actually just really simple like yeah. it's not anything yeah. complicated but yeah. for some reason our bias is so deeply rooted in us that we believe that the solution is really complicated and it's just yeah. not you know yeah. we've been talking for a while on this podcast and it just seems to me over and over again that the answer is just to give people a little bit of recognition yeah. you know not 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 in an egotistical point of view but who who doesn't want to feel appreciated you know yeah exactly and, and just to to overcome some of those limiting beliefs that people have you know and especially in underrepresented groups you know we know that that, that holds underrepresented groups back more so if you can just like you say give people something to kind of go, oh, you know, I did that. I'm proud of that. And, you know, and, and that really helps with, you know, for example, in, in some of the sort of STEM competition type things, I think just taking it out of the classroom and just yeah. sometimes just teaching it in a different way, that can that can change. That can be the difference between, oh, I'm not good at maths. I can't do maths. Yeah. To, oh, I used maths to do something. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden, then you, you've got that just, it's only, it's only a shift but it, it's a really important shift. And I think that, I think if we can do that, and I, and I know I get feedback that we're doing that. I get feedback, you know, all these things, you know, the books, the, um, every time we see somebody on, on television or social media that is different to the stereotype we expect, that's, a, that's another little kind of, um, you know, tick that will gradually advance things. I guess my worry is that we're not going fast enough. And that actually we, you know, to reach gender parity, we, you know, I don't even read the estimates, but it's, you know, we've, we've still got a real, a real challenge there. We're still missing out on ideas. We're missing out on talent. We, we've got a skills gap that we need to fill. And we can't do that unless we engage with an underrepresented groups. So I feel there's like an urgency, but I think in terms of the, in terms of what we're actually doing, you're right, it is actually quite simple. Um, you know, the barriers are not, not actually that complicated um it might be a case you know it might be a case of phasing out generational mentality um and we may just be at a time where um our parents um are still kind of influencing the way things are done I mean I I know that in my at my age I still make decisions where I'm like I hope my parents will be cool with that you know like yeah. it's yeah whereas um I think younger generations coming through um they just don't think that way you know everything is about them being ind- individualistic and not necessarily you know having to conform to ideals because of yeah. cultural background or yeah. expectations and things like that so it's it's really really complex but I think on a on a really positive note, um, young people are feeling more comfortable and confident to 
be themselves. Yeah, so maybe that actually helps things, doesn't it? Because it's um, so I, I was thinking about that, you know, in terms of those those stereotypes of, of you know science and engineering, and and when I do career talks, I I describe myself as a platypus because you know that lovely story of the platypus that doesn't know which group it belongs to because it's got a it's got a you know a kind of duck bill beak like a bird, but it's not a bird, and then it's, it can run quite fast on the land, but it's not a land animal, and it can swim really well, but it's not a fish, and. And I kind of feel the same. I'm not a, I've got a chemistry degree, but I'm not a practicing scientist. I, I've got an engineering job title, but I'm not an engineer. Um, you know, I'm, I'm quite creative um, and I do a lot of, I do a lot of innovation, but I'm not an inventor. And I've always kind of really struggled to work out like, what am I? And actually I think it's, it's taken me quite a long time and maybe it's changes in society that have helped to just think it's fine to be, just who you are you don't have to have that label you don't have to have a particular identity you can have your own identity that's made up of lots of different things and I think maybe that will help because if that is more acceptable then that that actually opens up a huge range of steam kind of jobs where people are using they are multidisciplinary jobs you know people talk about the tech sector but actually, the tech sector, you know, technology will be in, in almost all the jobs in the future in, in a positive way, as well as the kind of scary robots are taking our jobs kind of way. Actually, it, behind every behind every successful machine, there's going to be engineers, there's going to be technicians, there's going to be designers and programmers. You know, there's so many jobs. And I just I just think that maybe if we can get out of some of those those more traditional categories then maybe we can actually enable people to see how they could fit in and how their skill sets and their their interests could be could be aligned. I think we are in the transition period of that as well. Mm, yeah. Everything is going digital. Yeah. <laughs> so why would you, I mean, you know, again, when I was um stateside and sort of delivering um a talk, yeah. people came up to me at the end asking me, you know, should I do civil or, you know, yeah. is it yeah, it's like those labels again? Yeah. And it's like, do you know what? No one actually really cares whether you did civil <laughs> or mechanical or, you know, yeah. no one, no one drills into the detail of like, yeah. you know, well, he did industrial. So like, or she did industrial. Yeah, so exactly. We're not going to take her. First yeah. of all, there's such a massive skills gap. Yeah, do engineering. Do pick something that's even vaguely engineering related. It doesn't matter, does it? You know, I did I did quite a lot of computing in my chemistry degree. You know, it's a bit random, but I enjoyed it, so I so I did it. So yeah, absolutely. It's interesting, isn't it? That that's still for young engineers. That that's still sort of seen as a, you know, it's a big decision, isn't it? You know, aero, civil, mechanical, and actually, yeah. they're all they're not that. You know, they are different disciplines, but but actually just any of those if you pick the one you enjoy because you're going to with a degree you're going to do it for three years so you know with a PhD it's even longer so pick what you pick what you enjoy and see where it goes and how you can apply it um so it's interesting that is that is the the advice that now I give which is like you know because I'm not gonna I'm not gonna steer someone into industrial design because yeah so now the advice is do what you enjoy because yeah. you are going to be doing it for a while and if yeah. you're kind of getting up in the morning and thinking uh I just don't want to face the day because yeah. you, you you've picked civil when actually you're only interested in like just coding exactly I mean, yeah 
Yeah, and, and also I think considering other routes, you know, I think there is still a still a mentality, you know, um, 3M has been doing some work about um, skilled trades and, and the public's perception of, of skilled trades and how people respect skilled trades, but then they report that they wouldn't want their children to go and do them you know so there's clearly a, an image problem and actually if you think about it you know how many of the jobs in the future that are going to be created are going to be those sort of skilled technical trades so actually thinking you know if the university route is if it, if it appeals great go down it but if it doesn't appear or if you're not sure you know pick a shorter course try something else do a diploma do an apprenticeship do something do something a bit different and then you can always bolt things on and I think that's the way that maybe there is a generational shift there that we need to start thinking about there's too much pressure on young people and I I think this will always be the case with younger people is that there will always be this pressure to like make the best decision of your life at the age of like 17 that's going to affect your entire career you know you've got so much else going on yeah amount of times I've had I've said to people you know, your career is going to be a zigzag. I mean, there are very few people yeah. I know that have studied something, are doing it for the rest of their life. Yeah. Like, and and also some of the jobs that you'll end up having don't exist yet. Exactly, exactly. And and surely, you know, surely it's about the skills you learn. It's about the it's about the interest. You know, if you're interested in something then if you work hard at it, you can build up knowledge and expertise. So actually, it's, it, you know, if you pick something you're interested in, it might take you somewhere completely different. I mean, it did for me. I, I did chemistry. I originally trained in ballet. So, um, and actually it turns out there's a surprising ballet. number of, of ballet, ballet turned scientists um, and engineers. <laughs> yeah, it's actually quite common. So I, so I did, you know, that was uh, to my whole school career and I did, um, I started arts A levels and then changed my mind. In the you know that's a, that's a whole other story. But um, you know, as no. I came very late to STEM, and I I just think you know actually there's there's so many things that you can combine. You know, now I wish that maybe I'd looked a bit more at what things were. You know, for example, um, I could be a, probably not now. I don't know, but I could be a technical manager in a theatre, for example. So that's like a there are ways to combine something that you love with STEM and STEM skills. And, and I, I had no idea. I just thought they were separate things, you know, because they kind of were sold that way. It was like, well, you either go off and be sort of technical engineering or you go off and do an arty thing. And that was that was just how it was. And I think it is changing. But yeah, it's, you know, mine's a great example of very zigzag, very squiggly. I'm sure it will continue to be very zigzag and squiggly. And, and that's OK. Um, so yeah just just don't put pressure on people to make those decisions you know even the degree you can change it if you start something people do people change it they they bolt things on they they you know so it's yeah we've got to get away from that kind of making it like you said that big massive life table making it more than it really is um well I think change needs to happen on a systemic level yeah um, because uh we've you and I I, I'm actually blown away with like how similar our lives are because I I did ballet for 20 years alongside my little duet (laughs) and it's just like it it's we we pushed through it despite being unconventional we pushed through it but I would love to live in a world where um younger generations are not having to push through anything they can just 
organically find themselves because I think yeah. you know whichever generation you're in whichever culture country wherever you're born yeah. and whatever you're born into I think life is often just a journey of self-discovery yes, and it would exactly. be nice yeah. if, if people didn't have the pressure of um having to conform yeah. to someone else's ideal of what an individual's life journey should be exactly and I think seeing those pathways is helpful but then knowing that your pathway can be different you don't have to follow one of those pathways you can you can make your own you know and you can and it can it can be zigzag I think that's I think if you know if I guess if there's one thing that you could get across in a career talk it, it would be that you know whatever career you're you know you're thinking about so yeah I completely agree well, Sarah, you and I could talk probably for hours more because I think we've got such aligned views on the importance of STEM, um, the need to encourage more diversity um, into STEM and, you know, our backgrounds and just, I don't know, there, there's a lot of synergy there. And um, it's been so nice to be able to like talk to someone that really understands and is passionate about this topic. Um, we do it because we know how enriching STEM can be for others. Um, for me, I, I do this because I want people to reach their fullest potentials. Um, and so, you know, you're doing it too. That TED talk completely blew me away. And if you, I mean, that message, the messages in that TED talk were just so fundamentally essential. Um, so thank you for doing what you do to, to you know, raise awareness of this and, 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 and change the landscape of STEM and just keep going with it. I yeah, we just, we just need more people doing the same, you know, absolutely. It's, it's, you know, sharing stories, whether that's through talks or, you know, books or, or TV or, or just, just, um, just people's networks. I think just sharing those stories, whether that's the stars or the streetlights, sharing those stories, I think that's, I think that's really going to help and like you say we talked a lot about systemic change things that need to happen but I think that's something everybody can do right literally everybody can help with that so yeah I'd love to see more people being being a bit less scared of STEM and just really embracing their curiosity yes amen to that thank mm -hmm. you Sarah absolute pleasure thank you Sini Thanks for listening and please do subscribe to this podcast and maybe even rate and review it if you can. The more ratings and reviews and the more interest from those trusty algorithms, which could help to increase the reach of this show. And you can watch the video recording of this conversation on YouTube for my new series called Esteemed Women. It's all about self-discovery and self-evolution on innovation. So as always, be kind and loving to yourselves and I wish you all a great week.